Thanks to that great tee-up of our scripture lesson for today from Josh and our children, we are going to hear the final installment of our sermon series this summer where we have looked at the stories of Jacob and his son Joseph in Genesis. And today's story comes from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, the scriptures tell us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. May it endure in our hearts, planted today like a seed that breaks open and grows and bears fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me, and they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life." For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry. And go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herd, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These two texts we just heard both make a radical claim that even in the worst, 
most devastating events of our lives, God is at work for good. These scriptures raise existential questions human beings have asked since the beginning of time. Where and how do we find God's presence in the most terrible events of our lives, our country, and our world? And how can anything good possibly come from diseases and disasters we cannot predict or control, or from the hatred and violence human beings inflict on each other? In today's story from Genesis, Joseph and his brothers reunite in the Egyptian palace. The brothers have come looking for food during a drought. They don't yet realize that the man who holds their future in his hands is the very brother they sold into slavery decades before. Joseph has been waiting probably decades for this moment to seek his revenge. But as his brothers are standing before him, he sets down his desire for retribution and says, Do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Later in chapter 50 of Genesis, speaking again to his brothers, Joseph makes this even more explicit. Even though you intended to do harm to me, he says, God intended it for good. Paul says something similar in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. Now, this idea that the things we experience as the worst events of our lives can be used by God for good is simultaneously one of the most comforting bewildering, and infuriating concepts in the Bible. It is comforting to think that whatever hardships we face, God is working in them and through them for good. And it is bewildering to imagine that God could wring some form of good out of illness and death, breakups and betrayals, job loss and bankruptcy, addiction, and mistakes of all kinds. And it is infuriating and frankly offensive for us to ever suggest that God could work through murder and assault, terrorism and hate, tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and wildfires and somehow use them for good. Our parish associate, Mark Ramsey, points out in a sermon on this text from Romans 8 that Paul begins this passage with everything, as in everything works together for good for those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. And Paul ends Romans 8 with nothing, as in nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you have a hard time accepting these statements, Mark says, you're not alone. Because between everything and nothing, we live in the real world, where the goodness and love of God too often seem in short supply. Wouldn't it make more sense 
if Paul said, nothing is working together for good and everything in the world is working to separate us from the love of God, isn't that how life often feels? Well, that might seem to be the case, but only if we have misinterpreted what the Bible means by these two critical concepts, God and goodness. So let's talk about what the Bible means by God. Studies have shown that most of us, most of the time, think about God as a kind of cosmic butler, a benign force that organizes and orchestrates our lives and that hopefully will respond quickly and affirmatively to our requests. The book of Genesis paints a very different picture. In Genesis, we learn that God is the creator of everything. Without God, there would be nothing. No ocean or sand, no sunset or sunflower, no sweet corn or Hanover tomato, no great blue heron or Bengal tiger, no man or woman or child, no laughter or tears or hugs or kisses. God created and called creation good. And this good creation includes destruction and decay and death, seemingly by God's own design which means God is not something we can ever fully understand or control or even define. God is our loving creator, and God is the ultimate mystery. And what about this word, good? Well, at the very end of Genesis, the end of Joseph's story, when Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended to me for harm, God intended for good, we learn something about the biblical definition of goodness. Good is reconciliation of estranged family members. Good is the awareness that when it seems God had abandoned you, you discover that in fact God has been with you all along. Good is what God calls creation in all its majesty and terror and what God calls humanity at our best and at our worst. Good means that nothing can separate us from God's love and tender care, which means goodness is also much more complicated than whatever makes us feel good. God's goodness is something that takes the best and worst of our lives and relationships, and somehow brings them together for healing and hope. Father Gregory Boyle runs a ministry in Los Angeles for former gang members. One summer day, he gave an all-day training on gangs to 600 social workers. He brought with him a young man named Jose, who was in his late 20s. Prior to working as a part of the substance abuse team, Jose was himself a heroin addict and a gang member. After Boyle spoke for a while, Jose stood up before the social workers and said offhandedly, you know, I guess you could say my mom and me, we didn't get along so good. I guess I was six when she looked at me and said, why don't you just die? You're such a burden to me. The whole audience gasped. And then he laughed and said, it, it sounds way worse in Spanish. 
He told the audience, my mom beat me every single day. I had to wear three t-shirts to school every day to hide my wounds. Through tears, he went on. I wore three t-shirts well into my adult years because I was ashamed of my wounds. I didn't want anybody to see them. But now my wounds have become my friends. I welcome my wounds. He looked out at this crowd of helpers and said, how can I help the wounded if I don't welcome my own wounds? That all things work together for good doesn't mean that God will meet our every need or give us our heart's desire. That's not who God is, and that's not the kind of goodness God creates. God's goodness isn't measured by our success or achievements, by our bank accounts or material possessions, or by how happy we look on our Christmas cards or in our social media posts. According to Joseph's story, God's goodness comes after the suffering and betrayal and struggle. And that doesn't mean that we will experience that goodness in the midst of the chaos and pain and grief of our lives, as if God insulates us from suffering. Insulation from pain certainly wasn't Joseph's experience. He spent years imprisoned, exiled, and angry at the circumstances of his life and the people responsible for them, which is why I think his reconciliation with his brothers involves so many tears. I don't think those were all happy tears. But in that moment of reconciliation, as Joseph realizes he is now in a position to rescue his family and his people from famine, he experiences a glimpse of God's profoundly mysterious goodness. The Apostle Paul also knew something about suffering and betrayal and struggle, both in his own life, but also in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who transformed Paul for good. In Romans 8.28, Paul writes that all things work together for good. And that phrase, work together, is a translation of the Greek word synergy. According to Paul, the good that God works out for all of us is a synergy of all the things that happen to us, the good and the bad, the sublime and the terrible. I've recently become a fan of two different television series that each have a premise focused on sibling relationships. In Somebody Somewhere, Sam returns to her hometown in rural Kansas to care for her dying sister. The show begins after her sister has died as Sam tries to process her grief and put her life back together. She's got no job. She's living in her deceased sister's house, and her mother's addiction to alcohol can no longer be ignored. Life is anything but good. In the show The Bear, Carmen returns to his hometown of Chicago after his brother dies by suicide and leaves Carmen the family restaurant that serves beef sandwiches and fries. Carmen, 
was at the pinnacle of his career as the top-rated chef working at the best restaurant in the world. The family restaurant he inherits is in disarray and deeply in debt, and everyone around Carmen resents him for not being his brother. Life is anything but good. Just like Sam Adams' sermon last week, these two TV series speak to the power of sibling relationships to bring joy and also deep pain. They remind us that for many of us, there is no reconciliation this side of heaven, even with some of our closest family members. But in both of these shows, and if you can stomach some salty language, they are well worth watching. Goodness gradually emerges for both Sam and for Carmen. It emerges from the people who show up to offer them support, and they are the last people you would expect. Goodness also appears in the healing power of honesty and vulnerability of facing and revealing rather than avoiding and hiding our wounds. When the drought came, Joseph's brothers swallowed their pride and went to Egypt to ask for help. There they received more than they ever knew to ask or imagine, and the worst episode of their past collided with the present and became the very thing that would save them. Maybe at the end of the day, all things work together for good for those who love God means that we will experience the love and goodness of God when we show up for one another, when we dare to admit all that is not good in our lives, when we welcome our wounds, past and present, and trust each other enough not to hide them. That is what community, Christian community, is all about. We care for each other, support each other, and together we hold God's promise with and for each other, the promise that somehow, someday, all things work together for good, for those who are caught up and held in the love of God, which is all of us. All of us. Amen.